Welcome back to Following Noadon, a Stormlight podcast. This week is episode 58, and we are reading chapters 8 through 11 of Oathbringer by Brandon Sanderson. We're getting well in our way, on our way uh, into part one of Oathbringer by Brandon Sanderson. We're a couple chapters in, and I just want to kind of get a general feedback of you guys is it living up to the the hype that we've built over our long break uh going back into to oathbringer here we didn't jump straight into it after words of radiance we took a hiatus so uh how are we feeling now that we're getting into to part one actually now uh start with you elliot i think the flashback chapters for downer have given it sort of a, a tense feel to the start like i i feel like i I haven't been able to relax at all i'm kind of on edge almost through these first dozen or so chapters of the book so it's it's been good it's been good we're we're learning a lot right off the bat which is exciting but uh um i don't know it's not quite what i expected so far just a quick question before we jump to paul are you scared for your favorite character yet i am terrified for my favorite character all right paul how are you doing i'm doing great um and contrary to elliot's fear i have full confidence that donner's gonna be all right because we haven't seen our main character really die yet so he that's not even that's not what he's afraid of mm-hmm. yeah i know but he'll be okay that's what i mean i hope he'll be all right he'll be all right he always finds a way you know all right, can I get two words to two words to summarize this episode, <laughs> chapters eight through eleven of, of Oathbringer? We'll start with you, Elliot. My two words for this set of chapters is are purpose and innocence. Purpose and innocence. All right, uh, you've definitely used innocence before. Um, but there's nothing wow. wrong with that. I just wow, it triggered a, <laughs> triggered a memory of you I'm, using it for Sylv. Oh, no. But uh, go ahead, <laughs> go ahead, Paul. Um, so for my two words this week, I have ironic and eerie. Okay, ironic and eerie, and innocence and purpose. Pur- purpose. Okay, let's use these four words and talk about Oathbringer. All right, let's talk about purpose first, Elliot, and then you can jump into innocence after that. Yeah, there's a couple a couple characters in these sections dealing with, or at least we as a reader are learning about their purpose, perhaps, or lack thereof in where they're at right now. I think the first would probably be Adolin. I think Adolin's struggling a little bit to figure out kind of what's next now that he's killed Sadius, he gets put in charge of investigating a copycat murder who's copycatting him. And we learn that the death of his Rishadium horse is, is wearing, weighing pretty heavily on him. So he's, he's struggling here in these chapters and you can see it struggling with, you know, what's he supposed to be doing. Renarin seems to be struggling a little bit in these chapters. He he has kind of a comment where he was he said he was starting to feel 
like he was fitting in with Bridge Four, and then all of a sudden that got kind of ripped away from him now that he's a, a Knight's Radiant, so struggling there. And then Dalinar in the flashback seems to be kind of a man without a purpose. He's he's a juggernaut, he's a berserker, he's a beast, but even he doesn't really care like what he's doing. He's just you know put an enemy in front of me, of me and I'll bash him down kind of uh, thing. So a couple characters struggling with their purpose. Dalinar, flashback Dalinar doesn't really have one. Um, and then jumping over to Innocence, uh, a little simpler here on this one. I did it simply, simply for the slightly terrifying scene at the very end of chapter 11, where we see a very innocent young boy get uh, berserkered by our flashback main character. And that was, uh, yeah, Stark. Yeah. Paul? So my two, I think your words are great, by the way. I, I really liked uh, purpose and stuff. Um, my two words are ironic and eerie. Uh, for ironic, it's mostly because I, I don't. It's pretty self-telling. There's just I feel like there's a good amount of irony throughout these chapters, um, with <laughs> uh, with Adolin and the investigation going on, and then also with Renarin. There's a bit I I think it's a bit ironic because he has this really cool elaborate looking shard blade now, which is just really cool, and he doesn't really like want it. Or he's like worried about it, and it's just I think it's kind of ironic and funny, um, but also kind of emotional, I guess. I don't. There's a lot to to kind of unpack there, but it's really cool. Um, but that's why I chose ironic as a word for these. Um, and then eerie, I will talk more about later. Um, it has a little bit with you know some Dalinar flashbacks. Um, and stuff like that, but um, I'll kind of get more into Eerie later. So. Sounds good. We have our first Shalon point of view chapters and i thought it was interesting that neither one of you mentioned that at all because you're in your four words you know whoops oopsies but you know shalon had her book so we don't really care anymore you know no that's not true that's not true um, aaron Caledon are behind us you know yeah exactly we can go ahead and start talking about uh chapter eight if you'd like we pick up we pick up with Shalon. This is a, her first appearance in this book, and she is not in a good state at the moment. She's drawing furiously to try to block pattern out of her mind because her truth at the end of Words of Radiance was, I killed my mother with pattern as a shard blade. So she, there's a couple references to her immediately trying to shove that uh shove that thought down and it won't it won't go like it normally does because uh because that's she's spoken as a truth and so she has to confront it now and 
it's her natural reaction to try to push it away and it won't it won't go so what are your guys' thoughts on shallan as we uh as we enter uh oathbringer here yeah she's definitely struggling i i probably could have included her in my my word for for purpose actually she's she's come a long way from the shallan that we we first met but she still seems to be a little bit struggling with what do i do am i am i ready to take on being a knight radiant and and the leadership and all that 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 comes with that so yeah i agree with you trevor she's she's not in the worst place maybe that we've seen shallan in but she's she she's not doing super great either yeah she's definitely in a rough patch and just kind of like the the things she's choosing to withhold and the way she's kind of handling all the stuff she's going through is I wouldn't say it's like a big surprise. It, it's a little shocking um, because I feel like throughout Words of Radiance, we really got a lot of hope for Shalon with everything, us like learning about her past and seeing how she's grown from that. Um, I feel like there's a lot of hope that this would kind of be like a good, healthy little progression. Um, and we're starting to not see that, which is kind of sad. Um, it, it's honestly, it's not the ideal start we wanted to, to Shalon in this book. Um, but I do have a lot of hope still. Um, I think that's kind of a lot of Shalon's character is coming out of these really difficult situations and these like, yeah, these tough, like mental and emotional spots. And one of the things she's struggling with in the beginning of this chapter is she's trying to sketch the tower like the tower itself of Urethiru. And it's like she can't. That The way it's described is a little odd. I, I honestly couldn't decide whether I thought it was Shallan's mental block. Like she just, she isn't able to channel her artistic talent so well to draw it. Or is this like something a little more magical? Does, does the tower like have some sort of power to where it can't be sketched, where it can't be defined, you know, the way that, like Dalinar cannot hear his his old wife's name. Can can the tower just not be drawn? Like I, I couldn't figure it out honestly whether this was just a, a Shalon thing or if this is a a more mystical thing. Maybe it it has a protection against like knight's radiant powers and light weaving powers because Shalon's had in our experience with Shalon's powers, her light weaving is directly tied to her sketching. Like her, her light weaving is way more potent if she sketches at first. So she's having a she's having issues depicting it on her, on her page. That that's kind of where I was thinking along with that. And yeah, I honestly can't tell if this is what this actually is, but yeah. What if there's another, you know, surge ability out there where they could, you know, damage things if they can, you know, draw a sketch of it first and then, you know, poke a hole in it and it you know the tower crumbles or the the tower has some sort of protection against that or, or something like that but oh maybe not maybe maybe there's just just shallan getting inside her own head and i don't know at least from my perspective i only did get to read this chapter once um so not super deep or anything but my understanding of this chapter was that it's just kind of a result of shallan being in a in a difficult spot at the moment um, but it could, I, it could very well be the other could way be. too. So, 
we have we have two Shalon point of view chapters back to back, and I feel like she doesn't spotlight neither one of them. <laughs> one of them is uh, yeah. One of them is a a meeting where they light weave a map of the entire Roshar with with Dalinar, and the other one is Sadius's death scene. So both are Shalon point of view, but I feel like neither of them are about Shalon that much because this. The scene that we've been talking about so far is only a couple pages, and then it moves on to uh, a, a bigger meeting. So, what are you guys' thoughts on Shalon and Dalinar combining their powers to make something grander? What are the implications there, and what what were your what were your first impressions of that? I was really excited because I feel like we haven't ever seen any kind of combination of Knights Radiant powers yet. And that's what I've been looking forward to. I'm looking forward to kind of like an epic battle scene where all the light weavers and I don't know, else callers and whoever are doing their thing and the wind runners is you know, everyone's kind of working together and there's all this like these awesome powers being used. Um and this is a little this isn't that battle scene, but it is a really cool way that we get to kind of see their powers come together. I don't fully understand how or why right now. I don't know if I was supposed to pick that up or not. Um but kind of a glimpse at stuff potential yeah yeah i i totally agree with you paul that this got me fairly excited i i too am waiting for the scene from like the incredibles if you've seen that animated movie where you know all the the different power all the different family members come together and all use their powers together to you know bring down whatever villain they're fighting like that that's where we're got to be going with this right where where the, you're right the the wind runner and the light weaver and the skybreaker everybody like comes together to you know form this awesome unbeatable team and this was the first example we've seen of powers coming together which was super cool i was trying to figure out too if renarin somehow was playing into this we know that his power somehow has to do with like foresight or something like that some like looking i forget what's what's the name of his order Truth we, i know we looked it up yeah so the name I guess, yeah, kind of implies sort of like a seeing sort of thing as well. So I, I was thinking maybe Renarin was actually part of this of this power as well. There's a few mentions of him in this chapter, but it's a little hard to tell if this is just Dalinar and Shallan or if Renarin's in there too. I wasn't sure, but cool stuff. There's, there's actually one specific thing that was a mention to Renarin that caught my eye in this chapter... Dalinar mentions the description of Odium's champion that he saw, and Renarin like reacts to this. He Dalinar says it, and then everyone else is like, "Oh, that sounds ominous." But Renarin's over there, like making a face or something like that, like he's in shock. I, I forget the exact you know description, but it it kind of made me pause. Like, wait, does has Renarin seen that vision before, or like has does Renarin know who that is? Renarin has turned into quite the like withdrawn. I don't even know how to say it. Like guy that knows way more than than he's putting off kind of character. Yeah. Like all of a sudden. Do you remember? Yeah, do Do you remember Dalinar's description or thought of Odium's champion when he when he sees him in his vision, either last episode or the episode before? So it's, I'm going off a of memory here, but I think it's, he, he sees a bright light 
which I think he's thinking is odium, like in the background. And then in, in like the foreground is this dark figure with nine shadows and red eyes. And that's like all we have so far. Do you remember what he talks about the red eyes though? It's fine. If not, I can. Well, so, so there was a part that I, I did talk about before of, of like, he felt they were familiar somehow. Yeah. Yes. And I, I, I keyed into that before. Cause that, that makes me wonder like, is this champion going to someone we know, you know, kind of thing of is, is that why this is familiar to Dalinar? So yep. yeah. Is, is that what you're going for? Yep. I just wanted to bring that up again because Dalinar had the distinct impression that he knew he, he'd, he'd seen this person before. So I just wanted to bring that mm-hmm. up. So it's Esh and I confirmed. That's pretty cool. No, it's Kaladin. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh. yeah, true, true. Um, I I have to say, just like a comparison uh, for anyone watching, uh, the way I've been thinking of Renarin lately is almost like a Bran Stark. Uh, if you've seen or read Game of Thrones, uh, I feel like it's like the character who kind of sees and knows everything, but he's just not saying anything, and I just really want to know what's on his mind. Um, is basically how you could summarize that. But yeah, I'm really curious to to hear more. We are starting like throughout the book, we are starting to get a little more Renarin content. Um, I feel like in a previous book, we started to get a lot more Adolin content as we went along. At first, he was a minor character, right? Um, and I'm hoping Renarin just starts to, we get to see more and more of him because I, I'm really interested in him, especially now that he's a, a truth watcher, right? Um, and has a, a shard blade and everything. Um, I would love to to get more perspective from him. Well, he had two for a minute there, and then he gave one back to Adolin. So, yeah, that's true. That's true. So let's talk about the the game plan of of Dalinar and the Alethi and kind of what we get out of chapter eight is they're looking at Roshar and they talk about oath gates that they're trying to map out where the oath gates are and what the strategic advantage would be if they would start capturing them and they start prioritizing them. So that's their plan right now is to secure as many oath gates as possible. And right now they have the shattered planes and that's it. So what they're really wanting right now is something on the West side of Roshar. It doesn't really matter which one at this point, but they just want something. Something on the west side of Roshar. So that's going to be their focus moving forward is, okay, like obviously they want Alakar back. Obviously they want the Yakoved one open, that type of thing. and But what would really help their supply lines, if you would, is if they could open up one on the west side of Roshar and they could hop back and forth and get troops back and forth on top of Roshar, like wherever. So that's going to be their focus uh, moving forward here. Yep. And it makes total sense, you know, that the the obvious strategic advantage of just being able to hop around Roshar wherever you want to and transport, you know, supplies instantly wherever your, your armies need them, you know, that that's a huge advantage over an enemy that seems to have powers, you know, way beyond anything they have with, you know, the red lightning and all that, that they were wielding on the, 
the shattered planes. So I, I think it's a good plan. Um, we'll see if it works. Sure. One thing I'm, I'm actually really curious to get your perspective on Elliot, um, just kind of this whole premise right now that basically the issue at hand is this getting all the oath gates online where, where they can use them. Um, I feel like it's shaping up to be a relatively dull plot line. The Oath Gates are really cool, and they're very functional, right? Uh, but it's not that cool. It feels like more political drama and stuff like that, um, which seems fit. We're at the beginning of the book. I'm not expecting anything crazy. I know we'll have the Sandra Lynch at the end of the book, right? Um, so I'm not expecting anything wild, but um, I was just kind of curious on your thoughts, because... I'm enjoying it, but it's not like, man, like I have to, I can't put the book down right now, you know? Right. Um, yeah, I totally, I totally see what you're, what you're getting at there, Paul. I think that I, I was expecting, you know, each, each book we've had has kind of zoomed out like one level. You know, we had Kaladin where we spent a lot of the time, you know, in Kaladin's shoes and, you know, in the heat of battle and carrying bridges and, the intensity, very first person sort of thing. Then in Words of Radiance, we we stepped back and we got to see, you know, the the events happening on, you know, nation versus nation scale. I was fully expecting, and like you said, Paul, this could still very well be the case with with the book. I was fully expecting us to go to, you know, okay, now here's Roshar wide happenings and events, and here's things that are going on of, you know, all of these nations participating in. Yeah, we haven't really gotten there. Yet it's all been, you know, strategizing and more of the like relationship side of things so far, which yeah, I'm fully expecting that to pick up. I'm I'm thinking that we're maybe starting with some of the here's how Shallan's doing and here's how Adolin's doing and here's, you know, Kaladin's reunion with his parents and all of all of those kind of things and then lead into, you know, army versus army all of that kind of stuff. But uh, I, I agree with you. It's a bit of a slow start with p perhaps the exception of the flashback chapters. Those have been fairly intense, but yeah. That's true. No, I, I agree. The flashback chapters have been really exciting. Um, you've seen a lot and we're still like learning a lot um, and seeing a lot of stuff is happening. Um, so it's not bad. It's just like, you know, yeah, it's the like dull part at the start of the movie. You, you know, you have to go through. Um, yep. But I'm sure we'll build into lots and lots of stuff so it it's almost funny to hear ourselves talking about that we feel this this intro is slow when even here right in chapter nine we have you know some murder intrigue and we've yeah. got you know mm -hmm. yeah sadius sadius is dead adolin killed him and now we've got a, a copycat murder and adolin is put on the on the crime you know, on the crime scene and asked to investigate the the killer like a, a lot of things where if you kind of like describe it in one sentence it sounds exciting but uh just compared to i think where we maybe came from at the end of words of radiance it's slow in comparison that, that's true coming off the like sandra lanch high there uh, at the end yeah. of words of radiance right um so it, may, it makes total sense. And it's it's more of like the there's lots of fun stuff, like exciting stuff happening, but the kind of like the overarching yeah. problem at hand isn't, oh my gosh, there's this Everstorm. It's, are we going to get to use the Oath Gates? So it's like a little bit different. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. Which is fine. I want to talk about irony real quick here because we're, we were in danger of skipping over that. Adolin has just been put in charge of investigating who killed Sadius. <laughs> and he killed Sadius. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> he, uh, yeah. Do you think... Okay, first of all, where do you guys like, just random predictions? I don't like you. Don't need to give this too much thought. Where do you guys think this is going for for Adolin? And do you like how do you think he's gonna approach it? Like, is he gonna break down and tell someone, or is he just gonna make something up and be like, "Oh yeah, this guy killed Sadius." You know, like I was I was actually thinking about this just now, and <laughs> I don't I don't know how this would play into our story, but it would be kind of amusing and. I don't know. It would be a whole twist if he just tries to be casual and lead a whole investigation. I don't know. Maybe interrogate some people, tries to get to the bottom of it, right? Like, where were you at this time, right? And then someone confesses. <laughs> like, what is he going to think? Like, you know, I, I don't know why that's not going to happen. I don't think that's going to happen. But I was just thinking, like, how how ridiculous would that be if he, like, was successful? Like if he found Sadie's killer, yeah, um, and just like, yeah, it, it was that was the main reason why I chose irony as my word for this week because I don't I don't know what Adolin's supposed to do, no clue. I can I can see this going one of two ways, perhaps. Maybe maybe Adolin gets gifted someone to blame this on, or maybe it backs him into a tight corner where he's you know gets gets forced to confess or whatever this looks like. But yeah. Uh, ironic is a good word for it, Paul. Definitely. He's definitely uh, got a, a struggle in front of him. And he probably, I, I imagine he doesn't want to be involved, but now he like has to be very involved in the situation, which is no fun. But also, if he's going to be involved in the situation, this is probably the best way for him. Like, safest yeah. way. So. I, we'll see what I wanted to ask you, Paul, and I can ask you Trevor too, but it probably doesn't do me any good to ask you. Who, j- just straight up, who do you think is out there doing the copycat murder of the way Adolin took down Sadius? It's Renar, and he's trying to be like his older brother. I I, I said I wasn't going to ask you. <laughs> <laughs> good guess. Good guess, Trevor, but you're totally off. Oh, okay? yeah. And here's why. Who is it? Who is oh. it? Obviously. <laughs> So it's it's obviously one of the Bridge Four members. Um, we don't know exactly okay. who yet, but it's looking like it's going to be one of our our, our kind of leading guys. My guess is Teft. Um, okay. And that is because you know we we know about Teft. We haven't seen him in a while. You know he's been kind of off the radar, laying low, right? Um, and I feel like he, he's got this hidden potential we haven't fully seen to almost be... He's not Moash. He's not as angry as Moash. But, you know, he, he has a little bit of a conniving energy, right? So I think it's and less think conniving and more just grumpy. You know? Like, <laughs> true, true. He's kind of like a Zyle. Like, he was woken up at the wrong time yeah, and ended up killing Every someone, day, all know? day. He's just on, yeah. out of the wrong side of the bed exactly. his entire life. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Someone woke him up, and it was just an unfortunate soul <laughs> who woke him up, you know? Um, but yeah, that, that, I think it's going to be someone that we know, and it's going to be a shock. Uh, but not like a humongous shock. It's not going to be like Yasna or something. <laughs> I don't know. 
<laughs> I need yes. to stop. Yes, I need to stop assassinating people in your theory before yeah. she shows herself. Exactly. Exactly. That would be sneaky. Okay. I won't lie. Side point. Where is Yasna and when is she getting getting here? Good any, question. Any any answers to this? I my first thought on that is well, maybe she appeared somewhere crazy and has to walk like a really long distance. I think that's even referred to in the when we see her because Wit or Hoyt is there and is like, why'd you have to appear in the middle of nowhere? Now we got to walk for you know a week, right? But on the flip side of that, we just learned that she can teleport to places. Like, why is this a problem? Why cannot? She, why, why can't she just do the little disappeary else callery thing and poof? I'm in your theory. I, yeah, I'm very confused. I don't know where Yasna is. That would just make it way too simple. And I guess so. We have to. We have to wait for her to walk. Um, anyways. Yeah, I mean, she set out to meet with them, what, very beginning of Words of Radiance, and so I expect by the end of Rhythm of War, she'll probably arrive. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's my guess. It's a, a solid three-book three um, <laughs> journey. 3,000 pages. Yeah, exactly. Off screen. Yeah, yeah. of just, just traveling. Yeah. Just walking. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I think it's legit. Anyways, there's a Lord of the Rings joke in there somewhere, but I'm not going to take it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> there always is. There's always one. Um, so looking into chapter chapter 10, I would kind of like to take it away here for a moment. Um, All you. So I mentioned one of my words as eerie, right? And so this chapter had a lot of eerie things. So Kaladin is... Basically, he's arrived at this town. I don't remember which town it is, to be honest. But oh. he, he's arrived at this town, and they've been pillaged, basically, by the Voidbringers. Um, they came and stole a bunch of wheat and a bunch of food from them, and it's all a mess. So basically, he, he's kind of investigating. He's just talking to the people there. Fun thing, we get a lot of a lot of funny sill moments in this chapter, which I thought was, yep. was pretty funny. Um and stuff. But there's something that I, I really wanted to point out because I think this was our first little glimpse at a larger problem that we don't know yet. Okay. Um, so I, I noticed something and um, I'll, I'll read the quote here in a second, but it kind of goes back a little bit to our Edge Dancer read through okay. um, where we see Mr. Kremling Man, right? The guy who's made up of I don't remember the name for them. Sleepless. Sleepless. Okay, I thought it was ageless or something like that. Or sleepless. Who's? It's someone who's made fully of a million little Kremlings. It's really creepy and weird. Um, but there's a quote in here that says it's from Kaladin's perspective, and he says he used a lashing to leap over a snarl of rock buds and vines and startled a pack of Kremlings as he landed, sending them scuttling away from a nearly clean mink skeleton probably the leavings of a larger predator. And I just have to say, Mr. Brandon, you're not slick, and I caught it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and pin this here, that this is our little allusion to these sleepless, and that it's maybe a bigger problem than we initially thought, or a bigger scale villain. Um, 
just because like you know this was a very offhand comment but it is very specific and it i i think this <laughs> i caught on to this whenever i was listening and like instantly was like i have to i have to note this down like i can't forget this for whenever we talk about this episode um because I feel like this is my first time that I may have caught something that's like, oh, this is rereader value, but I'm a first time reader, so let's go. I'm proud of you, um, Paul. I'm going to pat myself on the back for that one. Um, I think this is a little hint, just a little nod to the Sleepless um, as maybe a bigger problem. Maybe they're more involved with the Voidbringers, or maybe it's a bigger separate problem um, that there may be one hanging around here um, and, you know, obviously just disguised as a bunch of little kremlings um and so just keeping an I eye on kaladin or, or yeah i don't yeah. fully know what this entails um they there was the one with lit like following lift around a bit um and so there's one near kaladin so maybe they're kind of stalking all of our all of our night radiant um characters um and we just haven't really seen it or haven't really noticed it so i'm definitely putting a pin in this and it just very like it felt like if I was watching this on as a movie or a TV show or something, this would be kind of like the eerie little pan away. It's like a skeleton or something. You know, there's something like kind of looming, um, a looming threat. And so I'm going to leave that there. Um, I was curious to see if you all noticed that also. Um, because this whole thing is like, oh, the, the void bringers, all this stuff. And then it kind of like, it's, it's simply just a tiny little nod or pen. And it could mm. be something minor still but i'm pretty i'm pretty convinced this is gonna be it's alluding to a bigger thing so once again you're not slick brandon i i gotta admit i did not notice this at all i as you're reading that I, i'm flipping through the pages like is this actually in the chapter i sure enough it is it's right there i i was so focused on the like sill dialogue that's going on at the time that i didn't even pause for the what I just thought was the, you know, environmental or whatever. Here's the you know setting that he's he's yeah. at the, the context there. But I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, there, he, he says it right there. Probably the leavings of a larger predator. I mean, maybe that's the author giving us the you know understatement of the year of yes. the, the the leavings of the most ominous predator that exists on Roshar. I, yeah, you might you might have something. I'm hoping so. This will be my big, my big success as a attentive I, first time reader. You know, a big, a big, a big win. Tre Trevor's, of course, not going to spill anything here for us. But I, well, I'm about I, to say something, but it's not what you want to hear. I, okay. but before you say whatever you're going to say, I, I'm a little worried for your theory, Paul. For for no other reason than I could see this being like something that goes unconfirmed, like indefinitely. Like this, this could yeah. be a little <laughs> Easter be. egg of, oh, that was a, a sleepless, you know, laying there watching Kaladin or following him around. But maybe this is something that like never gets revisited. And this just has to be like your theory you hold on to for a while that we'll, we'll never know if this was a sleepless or not. Yeah. Like you finish the book and you're like, wow, great story. Like, <laughs> where was the sleep? like, where were the sleepless? Like what was going on there? That would be very cruel. So <laughs> we're hoping we're hoping not for that. All right. 
Uh, just a, a minor side note here, which it's relatively applicable, but it's not what you're, it's not what you're bringing up, but it's still in this quote. So, do you remember what chickens are on on Roshar? It's they're in Shinovar, right? It's basically yes. anything that flies is is a chicken. So anything yeah. with feathers, they call a chicken. Uh, so, um, similar here. Anything with four legs and with fur is called a mink. And that can range anything from a rat to a fox to like a, a dog. They're they're all minks uh to to the people of Roshar. So it's it's anything with four legs and fur is re- is referred to as a mink. So if you if you do a if you have an ebook of any of these books and hit control control F and look for mink, you'll actually find a lot because it's used to describe quite a bit. So the 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 word mink is used quite a bit here. And so uh, a mink skeleton could just mean anything from it's uh, anything from a rodent to a cat. So true. I will say the first time that I heard this, I thought it was I missed the mink part and I thought it was just a human skeleton. I was like, whoa, like huge, you know, that I think that makes it a lot bigger of a implication there. Um, and that was instantly why I thought it was a sleepless spying. I thought maybe the sleepless had a skeleton and he just sent all of his crumblings off or whatever. Um, I wasn't quite sure on that. But yeah, the fact that it is a mink skeleton, you know, kind of whatever, but still seems eerie enough to, to put a pin in and uh, watch out for the fact that it's not a human skeleton doesn't disprove your theory by any means, Paul, because they can take any That's form true. they want. And especially if you've read Mistborn for any of our listeners, like the, the context there is a little grander, but I know that's not what you meant because you didn't finish that book, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. True. I'm actually not too far on the first Mistborn book. So. Alrighty. Kaladin is hunting Voidbringers. They they attacked a grain store and ran off with all the food. And all the Alethi who noticed them mentioned red lights. They weren't sure if it was their eyes or spren or what, but they all mentioned something red that was happening. So there's that. And but they're not deliberately attacking Alethi like the mindless nightmares of old that they've all been preached about for, for years and years. So what were your guys' reactions to our our void bringers attacking a grain storage? It it seems to be becoming clear that not only are the void bringers, the awakened parchman not like just wantonly attacking humans they they seem to be almost going out of their way not to kill humans they they a- attack in quotes this town but really all they do is injure two of the people that were guarding the food store and then steal all the food and run away like no one even actually died in the attack that they made and so this is yeah seems to be very much pointing down the road of these these parchmen, the void bringers, at least at this point, don't seem to be out for like full on war. 
which I did think was interesting. I, I thought that was kind of a funny. I, I mean, I've been under the assumption that whenever they go somewhere, they're just going to kill everyone that they can. Um, and I figured that's kind of the motivation from everything else we've seen. So I was a little surprised that they would just take food, but I mean, I guess they were hungry. They wanted to get back and eat some, you know, but, but I was a little surprised and it makes me curious, like, what if, what if this somehow was something different or, I, I don't know. I don't know how fully like bloodthirsty all of our void bringers are, I guess. Um, I'm, I'm kind of going down some trains of thought similar of i wonder and this is totally just me theorizing at this point what if like the parchment are awaking but they're just as confused about what's going on as as everyone else what if they're like you know oh whoa i now understand way more than i th thought i can think clearer i'm no longer in dull form but what's going on who just awakened me uh i'm kind of hungry guys you want to go grab you know grab that grain over there and we'll go back to our camp in the mountains like maybe they're just as in the dark as our, our human characters are perhaps. Good guesses. Any, any comments for our young ardent girl who's flirting with Kaladin? Do we care? Sil cares, but does anybody else care? <laughs> Sil was very funny about it. Um, I don't imagine that the character will become any, notable character but it was just a funny a funny scene um that she kind of like flirts with Kaladin and then Sal, uh, Sil is like she thinks you're pretty <laughs> talking about Kaladin yep. um, and, and even, even better she's like oh man she must be desperate you look terrible yeah yeah exactly talking about his, his hair looks really bad and stuff um that was really funny and um, I think this was one of my favorite chapters that we read this week because it, we had a lot of funny Sil moments. Um, and also I think the part at the end with Renarin was super cool. Like, I thought it was just really neat. So um, that's why it was definitely one of my favorites. I, Since you mentioned Sil quotes, I actually wanted to read one real quick just because I, I thought it was great. It was another good Sil moment. This This is towards the beginning of their kind of banter. And she says this, It is my solemn and important duty to bring happiness, light, and joy into your world when you're being a dour idiot. Which is most of the time. So there. <laughs> I was like, that's just like everything about Syl in one sentence is perfect. That's true. That's a good summary. A very, a very clear summary. Yeah. It really kind of felt overdue. We haven't had like a good Syl chapter in a long time. This felt like Syl's chapter, honestly. Um, also, there's some funny moments about like, what do you, what would you think if we like <laughs> threw your like sister around by her ankles or whatever? Talking about how they they use shard blades and swing them around and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Um, it, it it was pretty great. Well, not just shard blades, just any utensil, yeah, any sword, like... anything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, and then we had to leave Syl and Kaladin for the second half of this chapter and go back to poor Adolin, who's struggling with the, the weight of everything that he's dealing with. But 
Renarin's kind of got his back. Renarin kind of does the little, you know, cheer up, brother. It's not it's not so bad thing. At least that was kind of where that's kind of the vibe I got from this little scene with them. He has a really good suggestion of asking Shalon to draw Sureblood as like a tribute for for him because Adolin is feeling depressed and seeing seeing Gallant as a as a poor substitute for for Sureblood, his lifelong worst buddy. So, and I was I was glad of this reminder because I had honestly completely forgot that Adolin's horse died in the in the battle, and this moment where he's kind of reminiscing about the relationship he had with him and how how literally priceless a Rashadium horse is because they choose their riders. It's not like, you know, right. you can't just, there is no sum of money that can just go buy you a Rashadium. You have to earn that relationship and build it. And, and he had that with, with his horse. And we honestly didn't see too much of that. We saw a little bit of it, I think, but, um, this was a good reminder that that's another thing weighing on Adolin right now is the loss of his horse that he was fairly close to. In one of our Dalinar flashback chapters recently, Dalinar has this offhand comment of Rashadium being the third shard of plate, blade, and and mount. But he even values the Rashadium above the other two because you you're right you can't buy it like there is a price on a shard blade there is a price on shard plate at some point you can buy them you cannot buy a shadium or shadium has to choose you so there's there's a very special relationship there that adolin is missing renarin drops some bits of information though here in this chapter he he reveals, and I think he even shows Adolin, doesn't he? His his shard blade, his yeah, he does his, his radiant spread blade, not the the dead shard blade that that Adolin had won for him, but his his true radiant blade, which which is cool and quick. I think we it seems like Kaladin and and Shallan took a really long time to get to that point. Although Shallan, not so much, perhaps she seems to have wielded her blade quite early on. But Kaladin certainly took a very long time to get to that level. And here is Renarin relatively shortly after he seems to have become a Radiant. And here he is with the Blades. So he's he's moving along pretty quick. Well, if you... It, it's just because Renarin hasn't been on screen. If you think back to Fair. Words of Radiance, he was the one seeing the foreshadowing the Everstorm and writing on the walls for the whole book. So he's been having a journey for himself. We just haven't seen it. So he's just so secretive. I like yeah. all through all of Words of Radiance. I was like, ah, I like I like Renar, and he's the you know earnest, overlooked younger brother who's just you know trying to do his best. Now I'm like going back and questioning a lot of that. Like, hang on a second, pal. What what secrets were you holding this entire time and not telling anyone? Like, dude. Yeah, don't be like Renarin, Trevor. Renarin. <laughs> at least Renarin has the decency. At least Renarin has the decency to write on the walls eerie messages to his dad. Other, I, I don't even do that for you guys. I just laugh at you. Yeah, we're I'm gonna start see. looking closely in the background of your your camera shot there for yeah, notes written the, on the wall. The writing on the wall. Yes, yeah. my my Kaladin posters changed eight degrees. Okay, what does that mean? Eight. Yeah, you know, exactly. Like, yep. 
but then Renarin also heals Adolin's. I guess his wrist is injured at this point, and so he he shows off some more of his powers and heals him right there on the spot. So, yeah, Renarin is like full blown radiant at this point. It seems. Isn't that like I remember that kind of being like a not on purpose thing? Like he just talks to Adolin, and I don't know, maybe touches his arm or something, and then it kind of heals. But it's yeah, I don't remember it being. Like, a, oh, like, let me see your arm and heal it or whatever. Do you remember the exact like, way that it happens? He, well, ahead, actually, Alex. actually, now that you say that, I think I, I skipped over perhaps the most important part there. Renarin goes and grabs, like, Adolin's arm or a wrist or something like that and gives him a vision. And Adolin sees this vision of, like, the perfect version of himself or like Adolin perfected. And like after that, Renarin lets go of him. And, and then it's just yeah, after the fact, Adolin's like, Oh, and my wrist is healed too. So yeah, I, I think you're right, Paul. It was perhaps uh, like an unintentional consequence of, of Renarin, like sharing that vision with Adolin, which is perhaps another glimpse at the powers that Renarin apparently has. Do you guys remember where we've seen this before or something similar to this before? Was it Dalinar's vision with the Knight's Essence or whatever? That's what I always think of whenever I think of healing. And Oh, well, yes, the healing. But... but I was thinking of the other one where Renarin gives Adolin a vision. If you guys remember back to the beginning of Words of Radiance, Shalon inspires her her thug uh, employee guys with drawings of them and what they could be of like, this is you as an ideal soldier. This is what you could be if you lived up to this. And it inspires them to go save the other caravan that they run into. I don't know if you guys remember parts of that words of radiance. That's true. I do remember but, that. So there's, there's an interesting parallel there between what Renard just did and what Shalon's, <laughs> done to for some other people i'm have to think on that more actually because that was yeah one of my big takeaways one of my big themes from like early words of radiance was was shallan's actions there of of inspiring those around her by depicting them as what they could be i had not thought about the parallel to what renara just did here that's hmm i have to go think about that that's cool Should Just one other Sil moment that I remembered before we move on. Yeah, go. Um, so, um, Sil makes a lot of high audacity statements in in this uh, in this chapter, and I don't even remember how the conversation really goes. But I just remember Kaladin asking, like, "Can Spren have kids?" And she just goes, it's very funny in the, the audiobook, she's like, baby spread? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, and it's like, I don't know about that or something. And I don't even remember what else she says about that. But she just, like, talks a little bit about baby spread. And I thought that was just really funny. Like, like there really is a uh, a sprint for everything and, and stuff. And you're, it, you're bringing it, it back to my mind. And I, that, I thought that section was hilarious, too, because then Sil says something essentially on the lines of, oh, I'd be a fantastic mother. And yeah. Khan's like, no, you wouldn't. You, You'd be yeah, terrible. You, You'd get distracted by a, a bug crawling across the ground and completely forget about them, which is totally yeah. true. She would. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. On that note, we get to talk about chapter 11 now. Uh, <laughs> we get mm-hmm. to... True. Good, good segue. Yeah. So, uh... Elliot, I kind of want to throw this to you for a little bit and get pick your brain about... You, you you've said that Dalinar is your favorite character up until up until Oathbringer, but through the Wave Kings, through Words of Radiance, and he's certainly my second favorite character. I've I've said on this podcast that he's my favorite before, but I misspoke. Kaladin's always my favorite, um, but Dalinar is a close second. I, I really really enjoy his character, but we're getting some very uh, graphic and. what's the word i'm looking for give it somebody give me a word the the word kind of coming to me is dark okay dark flashback chapters of dalinar and who he used to be so i'll throw this to you to get your get your thoughts on on this for your favorite character it's not the same dark as like some of the shallan flashback chapters that we got you know those were like creepy make your skin crawl dark these are more of like make you make you wince or make you kind of cringe dark it's it, it's yeah. different but yeah this this flashback chapter chapter 11 specifically is very much not the dalinar that i hold up as my my favorite character and it's it's very interesting because it it tells you just how far dalinar has come and and these these chapters are doing quite a bit to explain the reactions that we've seen so many other characters give Dalinar that haven't made so much sense to us as readers, at least as a first time reader. You know, I, all I've seen up to this point is a very honorable Dalinar. All I've seen up to this point is a very leadership oriented, very, I'm going to do the right thing even when no one else is Dalinar. Everyone else looks at that Dalinar and says, who, who the heck are you? Where, where's the real Dalinar? And now we're seeing why everyone is giving him the, that deer in the headlights look of, of what, what do you mean you want us to follow the codes? You're the Blackthorn, right? Right. Well, this is what his reputation is built on. And it's, it's rather brutal. And it's, I want to I want to talk a little bit about the thrill, and I want to get you guys' thoughts, and Trevor, whatever you're willing to share on on the thrill, because it's I, the the impression I get from this version of Dalinar, it, it's almost like he's addicted to the thrill, like that's all he lives for are those moments in battle when he gets to feel like he's king of the world, and then the times in between are just like the the low points where he's waiting for his next fix, like that's all he cares about is you know call me up when there's a battle so I can, I can feel that adrenaline rush. Like that's, that's the, that, that's the, that's the vision I'm getting of Dalinar here. I don't, what did you think, Paul, about the thrill in this chapter? I must say in general, I feel like I haven't put that much thought into the thrill. I've kind of just assumed it's this toxic trait that he had. Um, and he kind of got sick of as he got older, as we kind of saw throughout the Wave Kings and Words of Radiance and, and all. Um, and I haven't thought of it that much as its own thing. Just kind of like a, I don't know. He was a 
headstrong young man, I guess. Uh, but the more that it's coming up, especially in these flashback chapters, um, it seems like it might be something else, and that it may be something else that I haven't really put thought into, um, that, that it could be a whole lot more than meets the eye. And I'm not 100% sure what to make of it. I'm still kind of, like, just being honest, I'm in the camp of it's not anything deep. Um, but the more we see it, the more I consider, like, is there something going on behind this? Is there something much deeper here? And it seems like there is, at a minimum, he is, like, addicted to it or, like, infatuated with it. And it's, like, kind of what consumes him as a person, um, which is a big deal. Like, whether or not the thrill is, like, some magical force or anything like that, it's at least affected him a whole lot. Um, I honestly think it may be kind of an equivalent to how we see or, or a comparison maybe of how we see Kaladin struggle with depression and stuff like whereas you know it's it's a big deal but it's not like a magic force placed against him I guess uh, maybe it's just kind of like a something he he's wrestled with and he like struggles with internally um, that's not necessarily the cause of something else that's kind of the way i've i've thought of it so two things you guys have uh, the first one is you guys have very different reactions to this and it's because of the medium that you're consuming this book uh paul you're doing audiobook and you can't see the capitalization of the word elliot mm -hmm. back in the way of kings you specifically mentioned the thrill and paul I remember your reaction was like, Wait, what are you even talking about? I don't even remember like <laughs> what that means, the thrill. Because as you're reading it, it just sounds like something that's, you know, it, it doesn't really sound like anything the special. Thrill of battle. Right. Yeah. But if you're reading it, it's capitalized. And it's almost as if it's a name or like it's a place or something, like a state of like a state of mind. So Elliot, you, you're giving this way more weight than Paul is, and that's why, because you've, you've seen the capital letter every time. The second thing, we're in chapter 11 now of Oathbringer, and I'm fairly certain we've seen the thrill mentioned more times in this book so far than we have in The Way of Kings and Words of Radiance combined. The Way of Kings mentions it about five or six times total and like you, you get a couple brief mentions of it on the shattered planes Sadius and dalinar have a conversation about it in the way of kings there are two mentions of it i'm fairly certain in words of radiance it's hardly mentioned at all in words of radiance but that's just because dalinar's not fighting anything um so you don't really have any mentions of it so far in this book, we've had, like, in every Dalinar cha flashback chapter, he's mentioned it. And in a couple of the, the modern-day Dalinar chapters, he, he's mentioned it and that, like, oh, I don't feel it anymore, that type of thing. So we, we're getting a lot more the thrill than we have. So I'm glad you guys are keying into that, Elliot. So throw it back to you. The thrill sprint, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued. It, it does seem like it's pointing towards perhaps this is going to be an important element of, of Dalinar's character and 
before it, it almost seemed like, like you were saying, Paul, that it, perhaps this was part of Dalinar's character before and it just kind of wore off. He got old. He doesn't feel that adrenaline as much as, as he did before. But, but I think, yeah, from these intro chapters, it seems like there is more emphasis being placed on this. Maybe this is going to be a more key element of Dalinar's journey and his character of, is this something that he has to overcome? I actually really liked your comparison there, Paul, to Kaladin's depression. Is this, uh, you know, an, an inner demon that he has to fight sort of thing. Um, that's an interesting way of thinking about it for sure. But uh, as this chapter uh, continues on, we see, we see the origin of where Dalinar gets his shard blade, Oathbringer, which we were, I was definitely looking for that origin story, figuring out where he got that. It came from a much more, evil moment i'll even i'll even use the word evil there of method that he acquired it um he he was chasing down this this other was it another high prince it was that even a term for this is that the right i don't know he's he's not i actually i think he is yeah he's one of the high princes of of alakar and he's resisting gavilar's rule so he's chasing him so chasing him, doing battle with him, but it but it ends with this very dark scene of he's chased him into his his hideout. Essentially, he's on his deathbed, and here is that high prince's six year old son, who has picked up his father's shard blade and is trying to stand up against Dalinar and, and protect his dying father. And it it thankfully happens off camera, but Dalinar very clearly murders that six year old boy and takes the 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 shard blade so a a very blood-stained origin of this sword you you mentioned that it happens off screen so did he really kill the six-year-old boy could it could it have not happened that way do you know it that's a good question and that is a good question and maybe i'm jumping to a bit of conclusion i i think the reason why i'm going to jump to that conclusion is because of Dalinar's guard, Kadash, because of his reaction. Yep. We we already saw a conversation between Dalinar and Kadash at Dalinar's wedding with Navani, where Kadash said, I can no longer trust you because I remember the rift. And the the title of this chapter, I'm pretty sure, is, is the, the rift. rift. And yep. like the this is the moment that he's referring to. And there's even a scene where that says like Kadash, you know, walked out of that room. Kadash saw whatever it was that Dalinar did. And so you're, you're right. It happened off screen. It's, it could be slightly or maybe intentionally by our author here misleading us, but I'm, I'm going off of Kadash's reaction to say that I think I think Dalinar killed them all. I think he killed everyone in that room. You're telling me that that kid isn't Adolin? Or or someone, and he just adopted, brought the kid with him, you know? Possible, I suppose. (laughs) I think that's what happened. What a twist. So, just a quick quick shout-out to Kadash. He's not a main character by any means, but we've seen him a couple times now. And 
he doesn't even have dialogue in this chapter. He's one of uh, he's one of Gavilar's bodyguards, and he walks up to to Dalinar after he's all forlorn after this and feeling empty after this. Uh, like Dalinar just want his first shard blade, and he's sitting on the side of the rift feeling terrible after what he and empty and having this boy's cries in the back of his mind like echoing and we'll talk about what what that means here in a second but Kadash is kind of Dalinar's tie to his past in the present day right now of Kadash was there on the battlefield with Dalinar everybody else is dead at, at in present day Gavilar is dead Sadius is dead like there's pro- probably a couple of his captains that are still around or like or were around at this time but pretty much everybody uh, is dead except for Kadash who's one of his captains and Kadash is going to be one of those ties back to his his early adult years where he was had absolutely no self-control on the battlefield and that that's going to that's going to have some consequences There's, there's a throwaway line at the end of that chapter, too, where it says Sadius is irate that he didn't get the shard blade because Sadius is a bowman and he was trying to take uh, the High Prince down himself with his bow and uh, he didn't get to him. Um, so he's really upset that Dalinar got the blade. And Sadius did eventually get the blade. We know because it's the same. It's the same sword that Dalinar gives up uh, for for Kaladin and his men. So that gives that scene a little bit more context. Of Dalinar knows exactly what Sadius would do to give up, or what Sadius would give up to get that shard blade, because he's had it since his youth, right in front of Sadius. And I hadn't actually thought about this in this light in in Way of Kings. When we see Sadius, he doesn't have a sharp blade, right? Correct. So he never so got Sadius, one. That yeah, I guess I had just reading this one kind of assumed that you know they're they're part of this juggernaut army. Well, obviously Sadius is going to go get another one in you know the next couple of battles, but apparently he doesn't. We, we get all the way to Way of Kings, and he still doesn't have a sharp blade. And yeah, that's. 25 years later or, or more or something like that. So yeah, that's 25 years of Sadius watching Dalinar wield that blade, just coveting it and wanting it that you're right, Trevor, that does put that scene where, you know, Dalinar offers up that blade in exchange for the bridgeman. Like Sadius just can't refuse that. Can he, he has right. to have that blade. Interesting. I, I wanted to mention in this that I noticed in this chapter that Oathbringer has some interesting history that I was not expecting. They they reveal here that Oathbringer was the original sword of the Sunmaker. And the Sunmaker, I think, is one of my like random name drops that I noted in my long list of questions, maybe as far back as Way of Kings. I don't remember. It might have been my Words of Radiance list, but... You know, we, we haven't heard anything about who this Sunmaker was aside from a name drop, you know, thousands of pages ago. But 
now i think he's been mentioned a couple times already now in in oathbringer so i'm starting to see and we're getting to learn a little bit more that the sunmaker was the original like conqueror of alethkar at least that's i think the hint we got a little earlier and so now i'm wondering is there going to be some sort of parallel history of you know dalinar the conqueror and uniter of alethkar and sunmaker the original like conqueror and uniter of alethkar and and this sword that ties the two of them together maybe perhaps are there any predictions on oathbringer the book somewhere did where does that shard blade get its name because obviously that sword has been around since the sunmaker and which was a while ago so all of our excerpts have been from oathbringer i don't know if you guys have picked that up but our our preference our preface uh epigraph epigraph thank you of of each chapter notably there are no epigraphs on flashback chapters i don't know if you guys have picked up on that through our books but there are never epigraphs on flashback chapters but they're all on present day chapters but all of our epigraphs have been excerpts from the preface of Oathbringer. So, yep, I did notice that, and I'm wondering. My only guess there is perhaps I have actually two guesses. Well, no, my second one doesn't make sense. Uh, I think perhaps the Sunmaker is the author of Oathbringer. That it's a a book written down by him, or I suppose her at this point. I don't know if we've confirmed that one, but. Uh, that, that's my guess. That was kind of what I was thinking. Um, just kind of the correlation there. Sunmaker having Oathbringer and the book titled Oathbringer. Like, wouldn't it be yeah. about Sunmaker? Maybe, like, that's a pretty logical step. Um, Can I read those epigraphs in order from our, or, our chapter so far? Just real quick. Sure. So it starts at chapter one, but I won't. I'll just read it as if it there's no breaks. I'm certain some will feel threatened by this record. Some feel, some few may feel liberated. Most will simply feel that it should not exist. I needed to write it anyway. I know that many women who read this will see it only as further proof that I am the godless heretic everyone claims. I, cannot, I can point to the moment when I decided for certain this record had to be written. I hung between realms, seeing into Shadesmar, the realm of the Spren, and beyond. I thought that I was surely dead. Certainly, some who saw farther than I did thought I had fallen. I did not die. I experienced something worse. The moment notwithstanding, I can honestly say this book had been brewing in me since my youth. The sum of my experiences has pointed at this moment, this decision. Perhaps my heresy stretches back to those days in my childhood where these ideals began. And that's as far as we are at so far. It definitely sounds like Yasna. Yasna? The whole thing just sounds like Yasna. Like, the heretic between realms. Oh, yeah. You're all right. All this stuff. Like, it's literally, it just screams Yasna at me. Um, it it also to me sounds like dalinar and this is kind of where i was like going with my second theory that doesn't make any sense it almost seems like it's a in the future dalinar it's it's, it's like as if dalinar 10 years from now 
is writing about his time back as a, as a heretic. And we obviously haven't seen him go to Shadesmar or anything like that yet, but that, that obviously doesn't make sense. Maybe it would. I don't know. Yeah, I guess if it's happened, we haven't really seen it. Maybe you could count his visions as something along those lines. Just a reminder, Dalinar can't write. You know that, right? Like <laughs> Dalinar, like well, he, sure, he, he could he could, you know, dictate it, but but that's what yeah. I'm thinking. Yeah, okay, that's kind of a general assumption. But... but I think it makes more sense that it would be the Sunmaker, and I do like that parallel to Yasna. That actually is interesting. I, I that is a good point, actually, Paul. I didn't think about the shades more part of it, but mm-hmm. I'm also have my eyes open for uh, our good friend Noadon. Of course, he has yet to make an appearance that we've noticed so far in Oathbringer. But this being Dalinar's book, I I really want to see him again. And I'm assuming we will at some point, but I haven't seen him yet. And he... cool. I kind of forgot about him. Yeah, How could you forget today. about him? I say his name every, <laughs> every week. I don't know. I just forgot. That is all. Any further? I wanted to get go. Yes, I wanted to actually one one last thought to kind of wrap us up. And Paul, I wanted to to get your thoughts on this, perhaps, as I'm going to mention one of your uh, top tier characters. Um, the end of this chapter, Dalinar kind of closes out with just this: like he can't get rid of the voice of that crying boy in in his head. And I immediately thought of Zeth and his the scenes we saw of, of Zeth, like every time he closes his eyes, he hears the screams of of all the people he's he's killed. And I was just like, oh man, that was that was that was a Zeth moment for for Dalinar there. I, I Paul, did you do you think about that at all? Or am I am I drawing interesting parallels or, or do I need to, to stop comparing Dalinar to, to your favorite? No, no, no. That's a really good parallel. I'm glad you asked. I didn't actually think about that when reading it, but when you bring it up, it does make a lot of sense. I I feel like it's just showcasing like remorseful fights, remorseful kills. Um, every time Zeth closes his eyes, he, he hears those screams, and it's people that he claims he didn't want to kill, or, you know wished wished he hadn't or wished he wouldn't have had to um and i imagine that's what's going on with dalinar here um dalinar gets carried away by the thrill in these fights and in battle it's not like uh, you feel you stop to really mourn your enemies deaths um i guess but i'm imagining with the depiction of the child and stuff that maybe he's he was haunted by that um and so that would kind of make sense of just kind of like A fights or or a time where they killed that they feel an immense amount of of guilt um and they can't quite get it out of their out of their head there um so that's kind of what i think of with that parallel and i think that's a reasonable parallel there um i feel like there's no like bigger significance than that um just kind of showcasing the like how deeply that affected them i guess yeah Yep, that makes sense. 
any further thoughts on episode 58? None right now. Uh, I thought this was a fun, a fun series of chapters to talk about. Um, and I'm excited to, to get to next week's. Cool. Well, let's close this episode and read further. Thanks for joining me, Paul and Elliot. You got it. Always. Always.